0: Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP. Welcome to the show. I am with my pals, Are you Father doing, Chuck. Are you doing preacher voice? <laughs> I, I am with my friends, Father Chuck. How are you, my friend? I am doing quite well. That's wonderful to hear. And, of course, as always, I am here with Matt Wells. Hello, Matt. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> he uh, never, pl- he never not, plays along. I feel, No, I feel bad. Poor Chuck's voice has been made fun of in so many different ways.
0: <laughs> well, you know what's funny is, this. What's, what's funny about it is, I don't know if I ever brought it up, whatever we've talked about it, is that it's also, that's also the voice of the, the one rabbi in Seinfeld, right? Oh, it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> the, the one that Elaine always goes to for advice. Right. And they talk about uh, Girl Scout cookies.
2: Yep. And uh,
0: that episode where she's the shiksa, right? That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I find that the fat-free thin mints are the most satisfying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I should just, like, one day I'll show up in the podcast and my voice going to be like this. <laughs> I'm just going to talk just like we'll, this we'll experiment
0: We'll, you know we'll play our voices like any other morning radio zoo no <laughs> we haven't heard from Sadburns in a while no no, no we have not <laughs> well guys uh how was your labor day weekends uh were they uh, full of all
2: kinds of celebrating union shenanigans I went I went to well two things. I, I first I actually did labor. Um we we um there was some painting done at my house. Yeah. And then there was some artwork hung on the wall finally. Um and then but the other was which is really interesting to me is I, I went to a funeral at the church I grew up in. Oh I'd really? Not been back there in like fifteen years or something. So it was it was strange. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, my condolences. It was was it someone close, or
2: is it? Um, not real. I mean, it was someone that I really admired when I was there, and he kept in touch with my family and stuff. So um, yeah. I went. I went largely with my mom for moral support, and it um, oh, okay. someone she knew more. Um, the first time she had been there, um, probably in sixteen years or something. I mean, it was. Um, it's been a really long time since we've been there, and so it was. It was very interesting. It was yeah. very interesting. And uh, first time I sat through an altar call um in a very long time
1: yeah does
0: does my altar call from a few weeks ago not count as one or what um i don't i don't don't, don't think so (laughs) okay (laughs) matt how was your labor day weekend
1: i don't know if it's uh, i feel bad following up after that one no i went (laughs) i went to a, a beach resort in singer island Hey, that's good and Wait a
0: second. Beach. A beach resort in Singer Island? Uh-huh. Did you buy a timeshare? No, I did not buy a
1: timeshare.
0: <laughs> that would be awesome. I
1: know better. I went to JP's old company and bought it from somebody oh, who oh, was oh, not my, JP. Uh, uh,
0: uh, not that JP has ever sold timeshare or anything. Singer Island, did you go to the uh to the, uh, the the marina?
1: No. It was a it was a Marriott, don't worry, it wasn't a timeshare thing.
0: If only I were there I could have shown you where Johnny Depp's house is, where Steven Spielberg's house is. <laughs>
1: Uh, I would you could have pointed at random houses. Well when <laughs> when he was here
2: um during the time we tried to kidnap him, um he and I went to the beach in Singer Island and we had lunch and he did his whole <laughs> spiel with me. It was I almost I almost bought a timeshare.
0: Yeah, for the listeners out there, I used to sell timeshare. Um I'm not proud of it. I didn't have fun and I hated every second of it. <laughs> um but there was a spiel and yeah, I could show you where Johnny Depp lives. Or not. No, it, He does not actually live there. But <laughs> um, so uh, I had a good weekend. I, uh, I attended a, uh, a fan convention in Oklahoma City. Oh, right. Called, yeah. It's called uh, Geekonomicon. And it's actually their first year. And um, I got to say, it was very nice. It was, you know, it's her first year. So it wasn't very busy. It was, uh, it was actually kind of like a, a very, um, a very slow day at Disney world. Uh, I think there might've been more guests and, um, uh, personalities than there were people (laughs) that were attending. And it was on the second day of the con, which was kind of surprising because usually the second days are like the busiest days.
2: Right. And this one coincided with Dragon Con in Atlanta.
0: Coincided with Dragon Con, PAX West, and also the, uh, star, the, the big 50th anniversary Star Trek convention in New York. Right, right. Uh, so they kind of had it stacked against them. I think a lot of the traveling nerds were a little busy. Um, but it was fun nonetheless. I got say, I, if you follow us on Twitter, you saw that I sat in a panel with uh, Adrian Palicki, who plays Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., or at least who played her. I haven't really been watching lately. I, think, I guess she left.
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't. I haven't watched it.
0: And she was supposed to go like some kind of spinoff, right? Show, but I think it fell through. I don't think they were able to get it. But that was a that was a nice panel. She was really cool. Talked a lot about Friday Night Lights, uh, Agents of Shield. Uh, check out the Twitter. Got some cool coverage, some cool stuff there.
2: Well, that's kind of cool that you got to go for the first one. Yeah. That's yeah. Neat. It was like it was. Yeah. You know, ground level. Like, if it blows up one day, you can be like, "I was at the very first one."
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was kind of cool because you know it was it wasn't very busy and it was kind of loose. So, like, you actually I actually walked past a lot of uh, celebrities, like uh, Greg Gunberg from Heroes. Yeah, he was the guy that played the cop.
1: Yeah, he's in all the J.J. J. Abrams movies.
0: Yeah, because he's he's actually BFFs with J.J. Uh, Abrams.
1: In, oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. He's in Star Wars. Force yes, Anakin. yes, yes.
0: That's yeah. He played an x wing pilot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his name was Snap or something. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and he's many in Air- Star
1: Trek Beyond. Sorry,
0: that's right. Yep.
2: Was he in Star Trek? Yeah, yeah he, he's oh, yeah. like the, the the like the like the uh, doc like the harbor master or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Saw him, and I I ran into Eric Roberts many times. Uh, that was <laughs> that was fun. He plays uh, Sal Moroni in The Dark Knight. Oh, cool. Um, they were there for like a big Doctor Who uh, screening anniversary. The American Doctor Who TV movie from 1997. Okay. Uh, which has garnered a cult following. So that was my weekend. It was fun. Uh, check out our Twitter for some of that coverage. Neat. So let's move on to our topic. We're doing something a little different. It's the month of September. We have a whole new month. Uh, usually, when we come up with topics for the show it's sort of a consensus we all kind of have a meeting of the minds about 10 minutes beforehand <laughs> uh <laughs> and not, <decide> always. <laughs> not always not always not always um sometimes we plan things ahead we're like oh it'd be great if we did an episode about this one day like, uh, stack it away then one day we'll we'll do it uh but for this month i've charged each of our masters of divinity um with coming up with their own topic for each week and they can either spring it on us the minute before we start recording, or they can uh, tell us beforehand, and we'll prepare for it. Yeah, so it could be anything. It could be anything. I'm still trying to awesome. think of mine, but we'll we'll get to that later. This
2: week, though, Chuck, Father yeah. Chuck,
0: yes, has decided on what the topic is going to be, and he decided on.
2: So the topic is. Well, I want to talk about religion. Okay. But specifically, I guess I want to talk about, is religion good? Is religion good? Yes. Okay. Good.
0: Uh, as your moderator, I can run with that. Okay, good. Because if cool. I just said religion. Religion. <laughs> uh, how do you
2: spell that? Uh... <laughs> no, this is good.
0: Uh, I like this. This will be fun. Why did you pick this topic, Chuck? Sure.
2: I picked this topic because I was on Twitter the other day, and we were when I was still trying to kick around a topic because, again, I thought I had to, I had to come up with it early rather than spring it on everybody. But I uh, I was happened to be on Twitter, and I saw a tweet from someone who said that religion is not a source of good, and that got me thinking about how often I have seen that statement in various places, you know, media, social media. Conversations with people, whatever. Um, not that I have too many of those conversations, but I've I've heard plenty of, you know, heard plenty of people say this idea that religion is not a source of good. And I thought back to how we had talked about religion in our second episode. We talked about religion versus the whole like religious not spirit or spiritual not religious thing, and how we talked right. about you know that spirituality and religion go hand in hand and all that kind of stuff. In fact, just listen to the episode before this episode um, to make sure that. You know, we weren't covering any of the same ground in this topic. Right. And um, but I thought it might be helpful to revisit some of the some of the stuff that we maybe touched on in that episode. But to ultimately ask this question, is religion good? Um, Because we've got you've got atheist types on the Internet who will say that it is not a source of good. Added to that, you have plenty of Christians who will say that I am not religious, that they will act like Jesus came along to do away with religion. So you have two people opposite sides both saying inherently that religion is not good. And so I felt like that might be a worthwhile conversation. Okay.
0: I've been thinking about this a little bit because since you did give us some time to prepare. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to start off with sort of defining religion, and I know we sort of kind of defined it in the second episode, but I want to take it a bit step. I want to I want to do something a little different. Um, <laughs> even though I had a lot of time to prepare for this, I did not look up the verse, uh, but maybe, I'm sure my seminary graduates could help me out.
2: Are the masters uh, of divinity but those yeah. who have those degrees?
0: Yeah, uh, the Book of James. I
1: can make up my answer. <laughs>
0: He's been doing that this whole time. uh, The the book of James. uh, I remember at least in in a version that I had, which which was NIV, um, James actually defines religion, doesn't he? Yes. And he says that religion is basically taking care of orphans, taking care of widows.
2: Pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. Right. It's, it's, it's rather—I
0: mean, it's, it's kind of cut and dry. He's saying this is what religion is. Is that—since uh, you guys are seminary graduates, your masters of divinity, is there like a, a translation thing going on about what the word religion means in that context, or is he talking about the same kind of religion we're talking about?
2: Uh, there's, a, there's a difference. Um, and because when we talk about religion nowadays, we're largely talking about a concept that is rooted in sociology or anthropology. Okay. um the way that they've defined religion whereas James would say that that the word that there that is used for religion which I can't think of off the top of my head but what James is saying is is talking about practices like actual you know the 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 the, the faith-based whatever practices I mean uh, you know of whatever you're doing and um and he's relating Somewhat to something that is said in the Hebrew Bible, or what some Christians call the Old Testament, where God says, "I desire um, compassion more than sacrifice." That you know, God that there are things that God that you know at times God is more concerned with, you know, wanting to make sure that people aren't just doing religion for the sake of doing it; that there's something more behind it. And then Isaiah, like I think it's Isaiah 25, the prophet says, you cannot mix iniquity with sacrifice. So these are all part of the same ideas that James is drawing on there, Um, whereas when we think of religion now, I think most of the time we're thinking of a category of common beliefs that people have that are divided into things like, here's the god that they worship or the gods that they worship. Is it one God or multiple gods? Mm-hmm. Um, what are their sacred books? Um, what day of the week do they worship? Where do they, where does it take place? Does it takes place in a church, a temple, a synagogue. You know, it's, it's this very like anthropological sociological kind of construction of these very particular is you know, this category. Right. And so I think that's what most people think of when they hear religion, but I don't necessarily think that James would have thought of it that way because for James, religion and like one's religion and one's culture were very intertwined and they wouldn't have seen a distinction between the two things and they wouldn't have categorized it like that i don't think they would have just thought of it in those terms i could be wrong about that but i just i just will get that i think that's much more of a modern thing
0: okay um so how would you guys define in a sort of a broad sense religion
2: i mean i think for the sake of this of this discussion we should probably just use religion in the way that People are using it um, okay. in the sense of shared beliefs or whatever. I I tend to think of religion, though, if I'm going to give my own definition to it, I tend to think of it as the common religious practices of of a particular people. So I I, I mean it's it, it to me it's it's it, it's hard for me to think of it in terms other than that anthropological sociological thing because I've just grown up with it my whole life. Mm-hmm. But instead of it just being a category where it's sort of like oh, my religion is over here, and then my job is over here, and my family is over here, and so on. Those kind of, like, you know silo ways of thinking about it. For me, religion is intertwined with the kind of culture and person that you are. And so religion isn't just something that, like, say, oh, I do it on one day of the week, and then that's just sort of it. You know, it, it shapes every facet of your life from, you know, the way you eat, the way you talk to other people, you know, not just also the things you do in, like, a house of worship or whatever. So you don't look at it as, like, a part of a pie chart. Correct. Right. Correct. What about you, Matt? Do
0: you have a, a definition of religion?
1: I, I did not go back and listen to episode two. I should <laughs> have because um I... I would have prepared, but I was I was at a beach resort in Singer <laughs> Island. Um, buying timeshare. Yeah, not timeshare. <laughs> sure. I feel like my what I said in that episode is how I would define religion and a basic like here's a definition. I think the sum of the uh, my my concept of religion is that it is a system based on shared beliefs that dictates how you interact with the world. Yes,
2: that's precisely what you said.
1: So there you go. Um, so that would be my definition. What a religion to me is, a a system based on shared beliefs that defines how you interact with the world. Cause if I believe something to be real and to be true, then I have to decide how to live my life in light of what I believe to be real and true. And I would call that religion.
0: Okay. We're, we might be doing some callbacks to episode two. I know I'm, I'm about to do one right now. In that episode, I explained, um, a definition that I really liked and it's um one's personal relationship with the mysteries of the universe
2: right which I like that definition a lot by the way
0: um yeah I did too and I heard it from Dan Harmon of all people <laughs> <laughs> so taking all these definitions into account how does somebody look at something the, the way that we just described religion and come to the conclusion that it is not a source for good
2: I mean, are they not
0: coming to the same conclusions that we are, the, the same kind of definitions, or is it... I
2: mean, based off of the, the stuff that I've seen people say and heard people say, um, is they will look at, for example... The, 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 when I first really started to hear this pick up was after 9-11, okay. where people were talking about, like, oh, you know, here's people who... You know, here's, you know, these Muslims who don't like the Christians, and so they're killing people because they don't like the Christians, and so you have religions fighting each other. People are killing each other in the name of their God. And so they would look at that and then they would look at different points of human history and say like, Oh, here's the crusades where people went and did this stuff in the name of their God. Um, You know, they would even argue to say that Hitler did what Hitler did in the name of his God, which is incorrect, but that's what they would say. Um, And so they would, they would, the, the argument then goes that the common denominator across all wars throughout human history is religion. And so we need to either rid ourselves or just wake up and move past religion so that we can actually have a peaceful society that religion doesn't allow for peace. That religion leads people to do acts of evil and violence to each other.
1: Yeah, and I think I think if, if like if I would say and I know I'm repeating myself, but if I would say my definition of religion is a System based on beliefs that defines how I interact with the world. I would say that a lot of people have a definition of religion that has become an antiquated system of rules and regulations based on fear and bias, bigotry. Um, I think that they see religion as oppressive, and they see it as outdated, and um, that it's... Uh, A lot of times I think people have this idea that somebody who is religious is afraid of everything, so they find something to say that they believe in that's bigger than them, and then they shun or fight against everything that does not directly fall in line with what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
2: No, I think that makes total sense, yeah.
1: Um, So,
2: yeah, I think that it's a... Well, then there's this sense that it's Mm anti-reason that religion is unreasonable because we believe my favorite and i'm rolling my eyes i say favorite because i'm being sarcastic favorite um dismissal of religion is all the whole like oh you worship your your space you know sky zombie you know like (laughs) the idea of you know because jesus came back from the grave we all worship a zombie like That kind of dismissal of, like, you know, it's not real, it's not verifiable by science, so it's unreasonable that we believe this stuff. And because it's unreasonable, like, it's bad. And that means that we're anti-intellectual, we're against new ideas, we're against science, we're all those things. And there are plenty of Christians and religious folks who are those things, but it ignores a huge chunk of human history and recognition that religious people have pretty much been responsible for all these great things in our world so it just it, to me it's a picking and choosing of history Interesting. you were kind of chuckling Matt what were you chuckling about
1: uh, it was stupid I keep thinking of the Jack Black movie um, Nacho Libre oh and the little <laughs> sidekick who's like I believe in science <laughs> So every time you said science, all I could picture yeah. is I believe in science. Well, that's a great—I mean, that's a
2: great dichotomy anymore, right? You know, it's like I can't be religious because I can't be religious because I because I believe in science, as though they're irreconcilable. I mean, that was like the basis of Bill Nye's debate with Ken Ham, um, which was like you could pick the worst debate partner possible for that discussion. <laughs> like it's like find—you yeah. it, know—it's—it's—it's it's looking for someone who's just going to prove your point, but. I mean which is
0: a interesting debate, because you know um people accuse scientists like Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson for trying to debunk religion, but if anyone watched that debate, it was more or less just Bill Nye saying like, this is why these results mean this. he wasn't debunking anything yeah uh, so yeah, that's what Bill Nye was doing, and i don't know i f- I feel bad for Bill Nye, he puts himself in a lot of situations uh, um where he has to talk to people that don't really understand what he's trying to bring them. And I think he does that on purpose. I mean,
2: just yeah. to educate
0: people. And I think he puts himself in those situations so he can educate those people. And, you know, he chooses the most stubborn people, especially, like, on media.
2: Right. I mean, and, but, I mean, the other issue with him is, and, I, and my concern with, like, both him and Neil deGrasse Tyson, is how they both seem to not care about philosophy or they get philosophy really bad. Um, in their own arguments and are unaware of the importance of philosophy i mean i think you and i were talking about this a little bit jp so like i mean even like the Christ tyson i think is, is like on record of saying that philosophy is not a worthwhile use of time and that you know and that, that that bothers me like and that should bother everybody because okay science deals with like testing data or whatever they'll say science deals with facts well science can't deal with you know can't always deal with facts because of um, and I'll talk about that in a moment. An, a, a, an argument that David Hume has um, made that has been one of the greatest hurdles for science to deal with. But um, but like but we talk about things like you look at like eugenics in the 1920s. Um, that was considered a valid scientific enterprise. That you know we should be sterilizing people who are not as intelligent so that we can purify the genetic code of the human race and you know, that ultimately led to ethnic cleansings and stuff like that. And con. And con. But there was once a time where that was considered like valid science. And yeah. it wasn't until philosophers, in other words, ethicists, stepped in and said, well, no, like that's that's morally reprehensible. Because like science just by its virtue can't deal with morals. That's the realm of philosophy theology. So that's where that's where, you know, I get concerned around that, that kind of discussion that we see sometimes with Nye and with DeGreis Tyson. Um, I would just like to see them more be more acknowledge the fact that philosophy plays an important role in what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not saying they shouldn't do philosophy. I just think they should spend more time on it. Um, especially if they're both going to have like TV shows and stuff talking about these things. I mean, you know, if you're going to go up there and you're going to say that vaccines are a good thing, or you're going to say that, cl- that global warming is bad, like these are ethical these get into the, the realm of ethics, and that's philosophy. Um, and so, I think that's an important piece um, for them yeah. to just acknowledge and, and, and maybe do some work on, or or even have you know. And I don't, I mean, I know Bill Nye's got a new sci- a new show coming out on, on um, Netflix pretty soon. So, we're interested to in see what he's going to do with that. But I think that it's still an important, it's an important piece. Um, and like, I mean, just to touch on the morals thing, I had uh, some friends who were having a debate on facebook this week about this and somebody had kind of sort of come out as an atheist on facebook and had said you know i don't need a religion some third party person to tell me whether i'm a good person and so like okay so my so one's dismissal of religion is just based off whether or not it tells you you're good like that seems to be like there's there's more to religion just determining if you're good or bad like morals or a very small part of religion. And so, you know, so to me, like, this idea of, like, rules and regulations and this whole outdated thing, like, that's just sort of the way people think of religion. And maybe that's religious people's faults for largely living into that stereotype and not doing more to to demonstrate it. But at the same time, like, having people who can run around and, and say whether things are good or bad has been important. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist minister. Right. And he was willing to say that Jim Crow laws and segregation was bad. And if he didn't say they were bad as a religious person, and said they were against God, and contrary to the Gospel of Jesus, and call other pastors to be to be accountable in this, which
0: was a bomb, right? Because like, because religion was basically used to justify segregation at that time.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, but that, and that's and that's really the the thing here is that religion can be used by political entities. Right. Religion, in and of itself, pretty often actually has a good message. You know, it's trying to do good. And to encourage people to do right things, um, you know, so when I know I'm kind of falling back into the, the, the good, bad morals thing that I just said is, you know, religion's you know, <laughs> bigger than that. But I mean, it is obviously a very important piece of it. So civil rights was led by Martin Luther
0: King, who was a Baptist minister.
2: Right. And who was, himself was inspired by Gandhi, who was a Jain. And Gandhi led a complete culture, like a, like a, a national revolution against the British Empire without declaring a war against them and we're able to find become an independent country without having to go to war with Britain. And all through, you know, Gandhi having very strong religious convictions about nonviolence. To so to say that religion is not a source of good is to ignore Gandhi, Martin Luther King Junior, um, the work of Malcolm X, um and 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 Tons of other people. I mean, you know, looking back at the Civil Rights Howard Thurman. I mean, there's just a whole group um, of people. And there's just the Civil Rights Movement in America that were. I mean, the abolition movement of the 1800s to end slavery, that was a religious-led thing. Mm-hmm. I know some people argue that it was on its way out and it would have died on its own without their help. But they definitely helped make it end quicker. Right. Um, and so to say religion is not a source of good to me ignores that because – well, I guess somebody could argue, say, that if religion can be used as a source of evil by a political thing, then the political thing can piggyback on religion to make it good. But particularly in the Christian, in the Christian message, like, Jesus never once tells people to take up arms against other people. Like, Jesus never tells anyone to harm anyone. Jesus always talks about suffering, about suffering, you know, violence and suffering oppression mm-hmm. for the sake of transformation or whatever. Um, you know, Jesus is not a warmongerer. And so Christians who take that message very seriously have transformed society based off of the love that they experience from Jesus and try to communicate that kind of justice and love um, and peacefulness. And so, like, yeah, you can argue that there are other religions and, you know, you can even see stuff in the within the Hebrew scriptures of the Bible that justify acts of violence or whatever. But mm-hmm. as a Christian, you have to say that you're... And that's really the only religion I can talk about with any authority. I think any of us could really talk with any authority. Um, we'd have to say that to be faithful. That's not true. I think I could talk about the forces of authority. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're gonna take Jesus seriously, you've gotta, you know, you're you're gonna be somebody who, who, who is peaceful and loving. Like that's you know, you can't you can't sit there and say, like, Jesus told me to go and kill you. Like you just you can't do that. Like you can try, but it's pretty clear to everyone that that's a perversion of anything that he might've said and that the evidence is, you know, far outweighs any kind of other arguments that people make. And in fact, you know, you look at any arguments that people have used for, you know, going to war, that God wants them to do anything um, like that, that they tend to use more of the, the war imagery of the old Testament rather than, um, the actual words of Jesus as the basis of their decision-making. Um, you know, this is sort of
0: kind of reminding me of is uh, a little movie that came out a few years ago. Did either of you see Book of Eli? I did. Yeah. Denzel Washington and Gary Oldman, a post-apocalyptic future. Denzel Washington is playing like this wandering samurai type, and he has a book with him. It's been a while since I've watched it. It says Eli, right? No, his name no, is
1: his Eli. No, his name is Eli. Okay, his name is Eli. <laughs>
0: His name is Eli. and He's got this book. We're like totally spoiling this entire movie by just talking about it. Like, oh, <laughs> like it's how a topic. Yeah, it's that, a Bible.
1: That ruins the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, should we not? Should I don't
2: think know. that ruined the movie. I knew that it was a Bible before I saw the movie, and it didn't ruin it for me.
0: I did too. Yeah. He's he's holding a Bible. Okay. He's guarding a Bible. He's he's he, uh, uh, Eli has this Bible, and he's walking across the 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 wastelands of post apocalyptic America. And it's almost upon a town that's being run by Gary Oldman. He finds out that he has a Bible and he tries to get it from Denzel to use it to control his town.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But in the context of the movie, you, I mean, knowing, like you said, didn't ruin it for you. But if you saw it when it first came out, you didn't know it was a Bible. It gave it the impression it's this like book full of mystical secrets that would give him the power to control anybody. Right. Whereas Eli saw it as a book filled with opportunity to open people's eyes and free them. Yeah. Um, and then you find out and it's a Bible the whole time.
2: And that's that's sort of a King James Bible, by the way, for all the for all those King James only listeners who frequent this podcast. Why are you shaking what? your head? It's, it's It is a King James <laughs> Bible. Well,
0: it just, it looks good sitting next to a Koran, I guess. Um,
2: Spoiler alert.
0: That's how the movie ends. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's really what it is, right? It's just sort of this struggle. At least now, I mean, in our country especially, the struggle between, like, this is how it's supposed to be. No, this is how it's supposed to be. Do you think, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of silly to even ask this question, but do you think religion is being used for bad things right now in our country?
2: Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean,
0: as a system of control, maybe?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, we're such a divided country right now, and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'd like for this me- podcast to be a podcast that sort of everybody can kind of listen to, you know, and be challenged one way or the right. other. But, when I look at, I know I said, but I just said, you know, so. No, I was going to
1: say, except the poor Calvinists that you pick on all the time.
2: <laughs> hey, they could take it, right? They can take it. Um, they are predestined to take it. So I think I can talk about this in a way that doesn't alienate anyone. Because I think you see on both sides of our political divide right now, you know, liberal, conservative, Hillary supporter, Trump supporter. There are, there are people who are saying that if you're a good Christian, this is how you're going to vote. If mm-hmm. you don't vote this way and you call yourself a Christian, then you're a bad Christian. I think you see that on both sides. Yeah. And though I think we see it a lot more extreme on the right right now, I'll just say it that way. Um, but there are people on both sides of the issue who are guilty of this. And, and I think that that's a total use of religion for a political power structure. It's saying that your religion is only valuable insofar as it furthers this system if your religion challenges this system then that's a bad thing for example catholics right now in this election in this election season have no idea what to do because on one hand you have catholics are very very pro life and so they have issues with supporting hillary clinton who wants to extend abortion rights Right. Even, uh, you know, supposedly wanting to have them, you know, she supports the idea of them being taxpayer supported. Um, but on the other side, you have Donald Trump and the Republicans who are who have kind of hitched their hat on being the pro-life party. And but at the same time, there is there's support for opportunities for very like very vast economic inequality. And so Catholic social teaching would have problems with the economic policies of Republican voters, and so like I've I, I've seen a number of essays from Catholics right now. They have no idea how to vote. They have no idea what to do because voting one way or the other is against their convictions. Mm-hmm. But the political system we live in now expects them to sort of keep their religious convictions private for the sake of the political system, and that then that's something you see on both sides. And I think that that's that's one of the ways in which politics can use religion as it can either, you know, tell you, you know, if you're not going to support us, then you need to compromise or be quiet. Um, Or we're going to try to structure everything in such a way as to say that you, if you're, you're going to be a good religious person, if you vote this way or the other. Um, An example that comes to mind is um, when, when Obama gets, when Obama got up on stage, or, in front of the podium at one of the press conferences, after um, one of the terrorist attacks, it might have been the the first Paris attack. It was um, it was I don't know it was one of these just recent ones that we've had. When he gets up there and he says that um, that you know no no God, no God would support this, or he says you know that or he creates these distinctions between the kinds of Muslims, you know that there are there are good Muslims and bad Muslims, basically. That's kind of troubling to me that a political figure can tell another religion what they ought to be doing and I'm not trying to say this that I'm like saying it in support of terrorism or anything like that but I'm just saying that like somebody who can sit there and say that your religion your your religion is it ought to be like this rather than this
0: even in the case of like terrorism like don't be like terrorists
2: he can make authoritative statements to the effect of like you know we 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 need to not have violence, like that violence is bad. You know, I think we can have a policy to say that, like, even if it's in the name of your religion, you perpetuate an act of violence, like we can put you in jail for that. I mean, you know, that's, that's a reality that Christians even have to deal with too. I mean, like, for example, so I, you know, I, I, as a priest, I take confessions from time to time, like, I'm, that's something that I, that I can do and that I often do. Um, And that the expectation to me as a priest is that if someone comes to me in confession, that 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 seal of confession is absolute. I'm not allowed to break what that person says to me. Like, I'm not allowed to tell someone else what someone confesses to me, like, ever. But the state says that I'm a mandated reporter, which means that if somebody confesses to, like, to some kind of crime or or harming someone else, you know, themselves or someone else, like, I am legally obligated to report that information to someone. You know, the state tries to tell me what I can and can't do, but I have to make a determination what's, you know, is there a law higher than Caesar? You know, So it's one thing for the law to say, like, okay, well, this is – legally, this is what you're obligated to do. But religiously, I can say no. And I, and, but by saying no, I have consequences to those actions, um, and I have to be willing to suffer those consequences. It's another thing altogether for then for the state to come in and to say it is wrong for you to take confessions. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's one thing to say that, like, oh, you can take confessions, but there are certain circumstances where I need to talk about what people confess to me. The point is not to decry an act of terrorism, mm-hmm. but to say that terrorists are not actually, like, like, that they're not really, like, to say, like, a Muslim terrorist is not really a Muslim. Right. Like, who are you to well, here, say that?
1: Well, and here's an interesting question for you then, because I, I see what you're saying now, um, but here's an interesting question, just food for thought. Westboro Baptist, we already brought them up mm-hmm. once. Would you make the statement that that is not Christian?
2: I would because I'm a Christian
1: but you think somebody else making that statement is a problem.
2: I think, yeah, I think somebody, not just somebody outside of it, but I think like an authoritative structure, like if the president were to say that Christians who act like West, it's the reason why we don't, like as much as I would love to see every single member of Westboro Baptist church arrested on, you know, on, on actions of hate, as much as I would love that, that to me creates a whole slippery slope problem. Yeah, where if so, if so, if the government says that this kind of Christianity is acceptable, but this one isn't like that kind of stuff scares me.
1: I totally agree with you on the slippery slope thing. I will say, however, I would love for that to be what I hear in the news, Um, that Westboro Baptist is not true Christianity. Like, I'd be okay with hearing that from political leaders. The problem is, I think a lot of people think that is Christianity. See,
2: I want to hear I don't want to hear political leaders say that. Mm -hmm. I want to hear hear Christian leaders say that. Like, I want to hear more Christians, like, because it's such it's such clickbaity advertisement stuff to have people like Westboro Baptist Church on CNN than it is to have, like, Episcopalians on there, you know? Like, mm-hmm. to have us on there who are, like, you know... Being able to say, like, no, we believe, we believe fully in the, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and we're very committed to the Christian faith and to what the scriptures reveal. But we're also cool with ordaining women and, and marrying gay people and ordaining gay people. I mean, I would like to see more of that kind of stuff rather than, hey, look at these people. They just hate everyone. Yeah. But that doesn't get the same kind of ratings. And so that's the problem with news in general, which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> but I would like to see more and more Christians. I'd like to see more and more Christians of various – a variety of Christians talking in a public square rather than someone in a political position divvying up who's the good Christian, who's the bad Christian.
1: So what you're really arguing for is a little thing called separation of church and state. Yeah,
2: absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we've ironed that
2: out. It's, it's part
0: of the 80 billion questions I have and I wish we had more time. Um,
1: just rapid fire, eighty billion. Here we go.
0: One. <laughs> yes or no questions only. Uh, like, <laughs> well, I have I have a, a ton, and there's they, some of these are questions I've I've been pondering for years since I was in college. Never really thought to bring them up, and bring them up. It's even weird now to bring it up on a podcast. <laughs> but you know, Chuck, you talked a lot about how. Um, you know Christians will think that West will say that Westboro Baptist Christians are not Christ, are not real Christians. Mm-hmm. and whenever a, a Christian does something super violent or whether it's terrorism or something really hateful in the name of Christianity, God Jesus, uh, very quick to distance ourselves from that person or that group or organization. Do you think, though? By just saying they are not Christians, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in God, but whatever. Do you think there's a there's a sort of responsibility that we're avoiding by doing that?
2: Like what? That, what kind of responsibility?
0: Like maybe some kind of ownership that is that is maybe suggesting the way we believe or the way the way that we do the things we do. Maybe there should be some kind of a change.
2: I don't because that's them, not me. Okay. Um like I think that to act like I mean to that I mean that's the whole point of saying they're not Christian mm-hmm. is that they're acting outside of or actually I'll take it back. I'll take it back. I won't say that Westboro Baptist Church are not Christians. I won't say that. Okay. They're bad Christians. They're bad at being Christian. Yeah,
1: well, and when you say not Christian, I think, though, again, we're getting back to the religious, the definition of religion. You're using the term Christian not as their personal belief, but as what we would say is the religion in America based on a defined set of...
2: Well, no, I would say that they, because they themselves are calling themselves Christian. If you're going to call yourself by that title there are particular things that you have to subscribe to. Right,
1: that's what I mean, though. So what you're saying is, Westboro Baptists, you're not arguing that they don't believe that God is the only true God, that he is three in one, that Christ was incarnate. You're arguing that they don't fit what we would say is the Christian church in America. They're a bad example of what that would be. Yes, they're a bad example of that, but they're also just bad at it. Right.
2: (laughs) Um. You know just to get to we open with James to talk about James James talks about faith and works, your works justify your faith, mm-hmm. right so like or is as, as or is more accurate your 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 works give life to your faith without works, your faith is dead. it's actually a very James makes a very brilliant, brilliant argument there um that is kind of hard to come across. It's pretty hard to get in English. what he's getting at is that you can't just say, oh, I've got faith like that's nothing like Faith can only be active, and that's why he says, by my works, I'll show you my faith. In other words, by what I do, I'll show you what I believe in. Um, you can't just say, oh, I believe, you know, you can't just say, like, oh, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because, like, mm-hmm. then what does your actions say? Like, what do you do? And so, I, like, so you look at Westboro Baptist Church, they call themselves Christian. Mm-hmm. They call themselves a Baptist church. Well, I don't know why they come themselves a Baptist church, because they're not a member of any Baptist um you know, um, convention or anything like that yeah. that I'm aware of. But they, yeah. um, but they, um, they—they're going to call themselves that, then say, "Okay, now what do your actions say? Do your actions look like Jesus? If your actions don't look like Jesus, then you're bad at being a Christian. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you might not have a couple of the the belief bullet points correct on a you know on a test. Like if somebody throws a test at you and they say things like, oh, do you believe that Jesus is God?'" You know, did he die? Did he die for sins or whatever? They might say yeah, but obviously, like they don't go any further than that, and they don't. Their actions don't speak to what that actually means to anything. And I think like right. too many Christians in the world are actually
1: kind of guilty of the same kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and,
1: and that's why we need religion because religion is those things. And that's right. that's where uh, to answer your question, JP. Just saying, oh, they're bad. They're not Christians. They don't believe. Is it a way of passing off ownership? I would answer yes. Um, I've said before, and I don't want to reference where because it's becoming cheesy how much I reference it, but I, I've said before that if the predominant view of Christianity is a negative one, not you're never going to please everybody. You're going to have people who hate you if you're doing everything right. But if the predominant view goes against what we would say our very beliefs are, then it's time to step back and say, what are we doing wrong? So if Westboro Baptist is the predominant view of Christianity, it's time mm. for me to go, what am I doing wrong? Oh, God. Okay. To where my my idea of Christianity is not the predominant view, but this right. has become it.
0: Let me, let me make an illustration for you guys, a hypothetical if you will, and I would be interested in your thoughts. What if, and I'm using the Westboro Baptist Church as an example, but I kind of feel like they're sort of – ever since Fred Phelps died, you know, they're kind of wearing off. They're, they're sort of like on the fringe in the yeah, media. You
1: don't, you don't hear about them anymore?
0: Not much. Uh, they protest popular things, but that's it. But if, if something like the Westboro Baptist Church emerged and was like big and everyone was talking about it, about how hateful they are and how horrible they are, would, would the church benefit? And I'm talking about the church as a whole, like even Christianity as a whole. If, if there was a leader or somebody – I know and I know we live in a time where it's kind of hard to find leaders outside of like the outside of politics. But if there was somebody or the church said what they are doing is wrong. Um, but in a way, we've we've kind of failed them. you yeah. know, we do take some kind of responsibility it, 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 in whichever way. I don't really know.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I,
0: do you think there'd be some kind of benefit? Do you think people would be less likely to say? that religion is not a source of good. And then if it took more responsibility for yeah. bad things that were happening.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think you mm-hmm. need, we need to go in every instance. I don't think we need to go as far as to say we failed no. them. Yeah. But I do think it would always be helpful because I think this is what Christ did. I think it would always be helpful for us to stand up and take the responsibility for what they did on us and do the right thing in return. Um, How reconciliation takes place is if somebody is willing to stand up and take the consequence and the penalty for something that's not even yours. Um, In in America, in a racialized society that we live in, um, where uh, whether or not you would consider yourself racist, Is not the question anymore. We're just a a racialized society. Society itself is set up in a way that um, benefits one group of people over another. Um, So my being alive and carrying out my normal day perpetuates that system. A way reconciliation takes place is if I go up and say, you know what, I will take the responsibility and the penalty for the things that have been done. I'll take the um, the consequence for the, the statements in the past that have been made whether they were by me or not and I will, I will accept those and then you kind of absorb them and move on and become the voice of change where instead of fighting it, instead of saying we're not like them, we're not like again to use Westboro Baptist, we're not like Westboro Baptist, they're bad. It's to stand up and say you know what. What we see is the predominant view of our message has become in line with theirs, and that's our fault. And it's time that I change that, and then I start going out to make that clear and make a difference. It's accepting the consequence and the penalty, whether it was your fault or not. Um, I think that's the steps in reconciliation, is when somebody's willing to stand up and take that, um, and then be the one to make the change, whether it was their change personally that needed to be made or not isn't the question. It's I need to be the one who's pushing things in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I, I think, and I, I'm just thinking about since you used the current state of racial tension and in, in, in issues in our country uh, to, to springboard that. I think, you know, when you have... Yeah. I mean, like we've got going on right now in America, where every couple of months you find out that white police officers are killing unarmed black teenagers just like all over the place, Um, and then you find out like the police report that came out last month of the Department of Justice uh, uh, investigation of the Baltimore Police Department, and find out just how deeply systemic the problems were there. Um, When you have like these growth, these these gross you know, incidences, you know, you have to recognize that there's probably a culture problem when you have these kinds of incidences, you have to, you do have to ask yourself. So I think you're right, JP. I think you do. I'm I'm kind of backpedaling on my own statement before. And I think you're right. I think you do have to ask questions of the culture and the Christian culture. Like, I don't know if I want to say that, how did we fail these people? I mean, in a sense, there is a failure, because there hasn't been somebody to adequately teach them about the Christian faith in an accurate way, perhaps.
1: No, but I mean, there's some people that you're never going to teach them. So it's not the question of failing them. It's a question of... Being the one to make the change, even though the the fault might have been theirs, mm-hmm. it's I'm the one who's going to take the responsibility for that fault and be the one to spread the right message and make the change. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah yeah no, I, I, I see what you're saying,
2: mm-hmm. but yeah, I think like there comes a point you have to address the cultural issue, and so like as Christians, I guess what is it that we can do to address our own? You know, it's, it's a it's a thing you hear a lot of people on um, that I've heard a lot of people. I'm um, particularly more conservative type folks saying about Islam, like where are the where where are the Muslims condemning all the terrorist acts? You know, if it's they're
0: everywhere, the media just doesn't want to cover it. Exactly, exactly, because <laughs> <laughs> that's a boring story,
2: right? Um, but it's like, but we have this expectation that in, within the within within Islam, that should be what's happening. Right. Um, and so as Christians, we have to be willing to do the same for ourselves. We have to be willing to say no. I'm gonna. I'm gonna speak out against this. And of course, the challenge comes with this whole idea of, you know, we're not supposed to speak ill of each other. We're not supposed to, you know, you know. But that's also, of course, ignoring the whole idea of speaking the truth and love and holding one another accountable. And that's a huge part of the Christian faith is holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done a bad job of that, I think. Um, I and think, so I think you're right, JP. I think there, there do, there does need to be some people who are willing to stand up and say. No, this is what the Christian faith is. And um, if we're going to call ourselves that, this is what we need to do. And I'll own the fact that I've not done a good job of living it in my life. And by my failure to live it,
1: it's allowed somebody to live it poorly. And it, that compounds over time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think the the important thing to also remember, since we're talking about this, um, with religion and and the idea of if it's our responsibility or not, when it comes to reconciliation, I said that you need somebody to absorb the consequence for the fault that was done. Um, I do also feel it's important to say, uh, as a Christian, I believe that that doesn't just mean in the situation where we, where Christianity is one being viewed as wrong. Um, I think it's also when wrongs are done to us, it's not fighting against them going, um, you hate us. You're wrong. You hate us because you hate God. It's us going. I'm going to absorb your con- your your backlash, your anger, your hatred, the penalty that should be yours. I'm willing to accept that, and I'm going to love you anyway. Right. Um, it's a. It works on both sides, if that makes sense. Like I, I want to specify that it's not just when people are going. Oh, Christianity is wrong. And it's like, oh, we've done something wrong. We need to express it better. But also when people are attacking Christianity, we don't need to fight it back. We need to be like Christ, accept the the beating while at the same time expressing nothing but grace and, and love and humility. Um, so you can speak up against injustices. But what I mean is when they're done to you, the most powerful thing I think as Christians we can do is live the right way anyway mm-hmm. and right. not not perpetuate a system of anger by fighting back but taking kind of say the Gandhi approach of I don't need to fight you back I just need to show you this is how it should be right and if you kill me because of that I'm willing to accept that but I'm going to show you this is the right way this is how it should be because I I'm willing to accept what you're doing and to see you as still being a human being created in the image of God, worthy of my, my love. So I'm going to love you to the point of you might kill me for it, but I'm going to show you this is how it should be. Um, so I feel like that just is, it needs to be our message in all of it. Like if somebody says, you guys are doing it wrong, we don't need to, No, we're not. We're doing it right. It's just them. No, we need to go. Okay, like, okay, I'm sorry. Let me show you how it should be um, yeah, and, on both sides of that.
2: And I like that you're saying show because as you're talking about I realize the last thing that we need is another think piece. <laughs> or open letter. Hold on, I, got I don't that. know. I think we Wait, need about fifty stop. more. Hold on, uh, stop.
1: I got to delete the document I was just. <laughs> <making>. <laughs> Give me a second. It was getting ready to post to our blog. I'm really glad you saw it. <laughs>
2: um,
0: um we we don't we don't we don't write think pieces, Chuck. We write faith pieces. Okay? Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, we have so much. It's just all words. And I'm glad you talked about James because James has been popping up a lot in my life lately. Um, Really? And I think, you know, maybe it's the book of the age that we need to be people of action rather than just words, just saying a bunch of stuff. Let's actually do stuff and let those actions speak. During the the sort of Ukrainian civil war that was going on Mm -hmm. fairly recently, I guess it's kind of still going on, um, there were these incredible images of Orthodox priests in their vestments standing in the middle between two warring sides trying to get them to stop fighting like to me like that image speaks more than any open letter or think piece you know or we think about the the story that happened in Syria where um i think it was Syria it was either Iraq or Syria um where after like there was a suicide bombing um in a christian area um a group of muslims created a human shield around some christians praying And then after that was done, the Christians surrounded the Muslims because they were, like, you know, the wrong kind of Muslims for that area or whatever, Mm. Um, shooting each other in prayer. Like, those kinds of actions, again, I think speak so powerfully to, yes, religion can be a force of good. Um, There is goodness there. Um, We just need to see more of it. We just don't see it. And, of course, we can't help what the media chooses to report or not report. Yeah. Yeah. But I would think that an act of such incredible goodness would eventually get picked up by someone. Um, but filling the air with just more words is not really helping us.
0: I think it's, I think that's that's very true. And uh, you you had mentioned something earlier, Chuck, in one of our conversations a couple of weeks ago about people are sort of overwhelmingly their beliefs are sort of dictated more about what they're against instead of what they're for. Yep. Right. What what exactly did you mean by that? Can you explain on that? Because I, I think that's, I think that's relevant to our topic.
2: Um. When I think of that, I, I'll speak personally as an Episcopalian. A good chunk of the Episcopal Church is made up of people from other Christian denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're pretty. I don't know if we're evenly split, but we're pretty close to evenly split between um, sort of converts and what we call cradle. You know, people cradle Episcopalians, born you know Episcopalian, raised Episcopalian. People like Father Fun, cradle Episcopalian, versus me, who is um, who came to the church you know relatively late, um, and what I have found, and I know that I was, I've been guilty of this a lot in my own life, um, up until recent years, was I would spend most of my time talking about why I loved the Episcopal Church based off of how, about what I hated about my Baptist and evangelical upbringing. And so, you know, like the first thing like people would say, like, oh, well, what does it mean to be Episcopalian? Well, it's like, oh, well, we're not a bunch of fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, or we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to sit here and and tell you what you can and can't do, or we're not going to condemn you for, you know, living together before you're married, or we're not going to do this, we're not, like, that kind of stuff I've heard a lot more. I've heard far less um, of, of people saying things, I'm an Episcopalian because of. XYZ. I mean, actually, um, Father Fun, um, if you're a first-time listener, he's a regular guest on this podcast. Um, Father Fun preached a sermon when I was installed as rector or senior pastor of the church I work at. And in his sermon, he talked about this precisely. And he said, you know, I'm an Episcopalian because I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in Jesus Christ and the way he's revealed in the Episcopal Church. like, what a great answer. Um, but so often... You know, again, and, and then speaking from my own place, I see this, but in a lot of other ways, we like to talk a lot about, um, you know, how we're not like someone else. You know, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not close-minded like this person over here. Right. Um, you know, I'm much more. You know, I'm not as racially ignorant as this person over here, and it turns into this whole this whole just sort of empty thing and you know as I've mentioned in previous podcasts something that Father Fun has called um, works righteousness you know we keep you know using this language to you know prop ourselves up and say like I'm so I'm so much not like this person I'm so much better than this person over here because I think the right way I speak the right way I do the right kinds of actions um I shouldn't say the right kinds of actions because that kind of negates so edit that piece out um So that to me is what it, what I, what I think of when I, when I use that term about people defining what they're not versus what they are. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me, you know, why you believe the things and why are you doing the things you do? Are you doing it because it's counter to someone else or are you doing it because you believe it's the good and right thing to do? And if it's the good and right thing to do, why do you think it's the good and right thing to do? You know, where does that come from? If it comes from contrasting with someone else, then I would be kind of suspicious of it. Um, I mean, it's a start, but I think ultimately you have to be able to articulate, you know, that this is that the things we do. Yeah. We do them because we can't do anything else.
0: It's, it's sort of like whenever Michael Moore makes a documentary and a bunch of other filmmakers make documentaries to debunk his documentaries.
2: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Just make your own documentary, man.
2: No, that's perfect. The, yeah, that's a perfect example.
0: This is a bit of a detour, but I just want to point out a, a funny little nuance about our podcast. I I I I see our podcast as sort of like a an aerial an aerial battle in World War II, where Chuck is sort of like like a like a cool like Mustang P fifty one like <clears throat> like shooting down Nazis, and Matt is like the Enola Gay like circling the battle mm-hmm. about to drop the atomic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for the right moment. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like there's a moment that we're approaching that moment. Well, real
2: quick, who are you in this, JP? Are you the aircraft carrier?
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess. Oh. I don't know.
2: I don't know what I am. I'm the doctors. The Red
0: Baron. I'm the doctor swirling around the TARDIS just watching it all happen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to stay on brand here.
2: It's true. We are.
0: I want
1: to. I want to be the doctor. <laughs> no, you're the Enola Gay.
0: I don't. Know, I don't know how to end the show. I don't know how to end yeah. the show.
1: I, I don't know if I have an atomic bomb for this one, but do you? I, ha-
0: do you have any thoughts though? Yeah, I mean? I
1: mean, I I agree with what um, Father Chuck was saying, if I remember correctly, because it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but I agree with what he's saying about the we we define ourselves by what we're against more than what we're for, and being somebody who's raised in a Christian home and went to a Christian school and went finished college at a Christian university, um, then studied seminary to get a Christian degree. Um, I found at times myself becoming very bored with Christianity. Um, but the problem was not my beliefs and what I believed about it. The problem is I was finding that nobody was actually talking about it in the way that I I felt it should be talked about. Mm-hmm. As like we're we spend so much time trying to um, explain ourselves and or be right. Right. Yeah. Well I explain ourselves, be right, um Calvinist. Define everything down to its exact term and What we spend a lot less time doing is talking about why any of it matters in the first place. Um, I know that I am not, although I I love the people at my church, and um, I've been there like literally my whole life, um, I'm not a Christian because of my church. I'm not a Christian because of my school. I'm not a Christian because of my degree in seminary. I'm not a Christian because of all the theology that I've studied and all the answers I've been given. I am a Christian because nothing else makes sense to me. Because I wake up in the morning with an awareness that there is more going on than what I see right in front of my face, that there is conflict, there is hope, there is sadness, there's pain, there's healing, there's joy in places that I can't describe or find how it wound up there in the first place on battlefields and refugee camps. There's examples of love in places where it seems like hate should be the only result. And in all of that, the thing that makes sense to me is the 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 gospel, the story of a God who brought us into creation, who created everything that we know, everything that we don't know, who sustains and holds it all together, and who loved us so much that he himself took on flesh and blood, showed us how we should live here on earth, how life could be if we did what we were supposed to, accepted the complete penalty for our own rebellion against that way, and then conquered all of it, rose again, and said, you can join in in this. You have the opportunity right here, right now, to take one step, one breath toward introducing the kingdom of heaven here on earth, or or you can just be another voice screaming out more about hell and more about pain and adding to the sorrow and the the suffering. Um, but the God who brought everything into existence is telling us that we have the opportunity to act on his behalf in a world that desperately needs to understand him, um, to show people what he what he sees in us not what we think we should be or what we decide is worth um, and what is worthless but that we have the opportunity to show people what he sees in us and to act on that and if we did that that the the change that would take place in every single aspect of life and every single aspect and corner of the world um, it would be it would be un- unavoidable, you'd have to notice. um, If one person stands up, if one person is that Mother Teresa, who is that small glimpse of what God wants us to be doing, um, the impact is insane. So I live hoping to be that one example, but then live with the assurance and hope that there's others out there who share that same belief who want to show that same message and to me that is the religion i take part in is that if i can if i can offer one tiny insignificant little glimpse into what god is like i can change the world now if i can join with a body of believers who are all doing the same thing imagine what what could be mm-hmm. accomplished for him um, so that's why I'm a Christian that's why I do what I do
0: Matt um, it's perfect it sounds like we need more leadership don't you think?
2: I, I think we do but I think we also need and I don't
0: even mean politically
2: right, I mean because I'm thinking of like in the Episcopal Church right now our, our leader is the is presiding bishop is the title there it's our senior most bishop, his name is Michael Curry phenomenal guy Phenomenal guy, um, really committed to social transformation, first black, um, presiding bishop in the Episcopal church, very historic election for him, um, and for us, I should say. Um, and he's been doing a lot to, to really speak to these things. And I think he's a very good progressive Christian voice. Um, and he's undeniable because he's a good preacher. He's very committed to Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus. Um, you don't see that sometimes with a lot of more liberal minded Christians, um, but I and
0: I am personally really a huge fan of Cornell West, even yeah, though yeah, not, yeah. he started to endorse Jill Stein, which is kind of weird. Okay, <laughs> uh, but continue.
2: Anyway, but I was just saying, like, so there are the leader. There are some leaders out there. What I would be interested in finding is more platform for them mm-hmm. to be able to speak to these things a little more and, and to be seen more. And I don't know how we do that. Um, you know, because
1: maybe they should start a podcast. <laughs> maybe. Um,
2: maybe they already have. Maybe this is, ooh, maybe, maybe this, this is, is us. Is that, maybe that, we're that. those leaders. That's scary.
0: That's scary. <laughs> we're,
2: we're, we're probably, we're, we're, we're probably not those leaders. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are we ending this, JP? I don't, really, I don't know.
1: So, join us next week.
0: <laughs> next week, when we talk about. Uh, Who should be our leader? Should it be Pharrell? (laughs) I don't know. What you said, Matt, was really great, and I don't know how to follow it up. But from the gist of what you said, I do stand by what I was about to say. I think that leadership is the answer. Um, In this day and age, though, I feel like it's very hard to come by, whether it's because it's become easier to go after leaders or – um, because of social media and the internet um, It's kind of hard to have One singular voice But uh, that's all the time we have So we <laughs> I'm gonna, We're going to end it right there All
2: right, so wait, that we, was, we have a podcast, we can always talk about this stuff again later
0: Yeah, of course I, I think leadership would actually be a great topic for one week Maybe we, and we might, That might be a topic for this month We don't know I don't know I don't know what we're going to talk about next week I think we should talk about Pharrell <laughs> The giant
1: hat Join us next week when JP picks our
2: topic. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I just said that right now. You're doing that. It's official now.
1: It's done. It's on the air.
0: Five minutes. Next week's topic, we plead to our listeners to get more listeners. That's what the topic is going (laughs) to (laughs) be. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Uh, Father Chuck, thank you. Matt Wells, thank you. Thank you. you. Your insight is very appreciated and welcome. Have a wonderful week. Good journey.
2: If God had a name,
1: what would it be, and would you call it to his face, if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just
0: one question?